0: So I'm actually a a product of a a church like this. Um, I grew up in Middle Tennessee, and I had a friend who invited me to this youth event. I didn't grow up in church. Um, I knew who Jesus was because I grew up in the South, right? Everybody knows Jesus, but very few of us actually know Jesus. Um, So I had the concept of who he was, and I, I came to this event at a church plant, a church plant of about 100 or 150 people. And there were these faithful families who basically took me under their wing, this kid who, uh, family didn't go to church, uh, never did go to church, and that's where I heard the gospel. I heard the gospel from a youth pastor, and then multiple families um, really loved me and cared for me well. That was the first place I placed my trust in Jesus. I grew as a young believer. However, much of my discipleship and moving from discipleship, beginning to multiply my life and other people and having ministry opportunities came outside of the local church that was my experience i didn't i didn't have a family who modeled that for me so if you are a mom or a dad or you're a grandma or a grandpa what you are doing by modeling for your children or your grandchildren is really significant i had to overcome a lot as a kid who didn't come from a christian home and one of those was is the local church actually valuable and not being raised in a Christian home, I didn't fully understand. I failed to see how the local church was useful or even necessary for my Christian life. Because the exciting things was I'd go to school and I had Christian friends, right? Or we had a, a fellowship of Christian athletes, or we had a Bible study. that's where life was happening, and when I went to church, I didn't fully feel it or, or comprehend it. But I see it now. Oh boy, do I see it now? I, the more I grew out of my faith and the more I was discipled, the more I read the Bible, it became clear to me that the local church is central to God's purposes in the world. I want you to hear that. The local church is central to all that God is doing, both in your life and outwards to the world. The church is the bride of Christ. We are her, his beloved one. It is for her that Christ came and gave his life, and it is to her that the Holy Spirit was given. We, have, we are abounding, we are experiencing the abounding love and God's provision and grace in our lives. So much so that God himself dwells in us and among us. That's crazy. That is crazy to think about, right? We have something that the, the followers of, of Yahweh or God in the Old Testament did not have and it's God's presence fully here, fully with you. It is, is therefore local churches, the church itself expressed in, in local fellowships that are, are the community of God's redeemed people loved by him, and we are called to display that love to others. You know, my daughter and I have this awesome opportunity. We walk the streets of Philly, uh, and then we, we've been exploring. I love uh, kind of towns like this. There's just a lot of culture and beauty. Um, I was telling Gary that. This is a beautiful place. And just to, just to see the, the context of culture, and to know that there are people like you spread all throughout these communities who love Jesus. It's really significant. You're the, the church. And along my own personal journey with Jesus over the many years, several churches have re-educated me. They've re-taught me the value of the local church. I went all the way through college. I went to a Bible college. Still like, yeah, yeah, the local church, whatever. I want to go be a missionary and change the world. I don't know if you've met people who love missions like that. It's almost they love missions more than Jesus. We don't want that. We want people who love Jesus and have the overflow of that life with Him, then they love missions. So I went to Bible college. I took an internship at a local church in a, in a rural community. And I just started serving, and I had a local pastor take me under his wing, and he taught me how to love people. That's where I learned how to love people, right? That uh, experience as an intern and as a youth pastor taught me some of the value of the local church. And then I moved overseas. And the team I joined was attached to a local Nepali church. I served overseas in Nepal. And I learned what the global church was. I would sit in the, the services um, while I was studying language, knowing very little of what was happening, right? These two-hour services. And, but I was experiencing something. The, the community, the connection that believers have across cultures and languages. It is a supernatural experience the global church. We are a family together. Those two churches really uh, grew me and helped me understand the centrality of the local church, but it was the church in Antioch found in the book of Acts that has shaped my understanding of God's bride more than anything else. So what we're going to do this morning is I want us to zoom in on one church, um, who they were, and what God was doing through them, kind of a, a profile of who they were and how God was moving through that church. So the sermon's going to be a little different. I would imagine what you guys normally do is you, you take a passage and kind of dig down deep. Um, we're actually going to go through seven passages. Um, we're not going to read the whole all seven passages. Calm down, everybody. Um, I promise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach less than, than your pastor does. That's my goal today. <laughs> hey, that, that, that's a trick. When you're a guest preacher, always preach less than the main guy. Um <laughs> But we're going to do a flyover because I think getting a big picture of this church and this church that, that really brought glory to God is, is really significant. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 11. And we're going to kind of roll through Acts chapter 11, verse 18. But I want to start with some, some background. This, this church at Antioch. What, who is Antioch? What, what was that, the place and the location that this church was founded? So, Antioch was a great Roman city in what was ancient Syria, but is now modern-day Turkey. So if you you think of a map, you can uh, see here uh, Antioch in the top right-hand corner. That's where Antioch was. Um, And that now is kind of modern-day Turkey. The city was founded in 300 AD by Alexander the Great. That's a name we all know. Obviously, there were people living there before, but the city itself, the metropolis, was founded. And it was actually the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. Very significant city. Isn't it fascinating, God's strategy and mission? Um, As we'll see, the starting of the Church of Antioch wasn't put on a whiteboard. It wasn't put in a book. It was God's people on the move, yet God led them to a very strategic place for gospel movement. We see about 300,000 people who lived there, which would have been a mega city in that time. The largest city in the world at the time was Rome, about a, a million people. So 300,000 was significant. This is what we think uh, the, church of, or the city of Antioch may have looked like. Um, and you see the density of where people lived really closely together. It's kind of a, a beautiful place. So, but it was, it was in this city where... Uh, Followers of Jesus were first called Christians. This is where we got our nickname. By the way, this is a derogatory term. Um, this was given to us by the residents of Antioch. Uh, it meant like Christ followers or those who want to be like Christ. What they didn't know is actually we like it. It Was like, well, well I think we'll keep that name, right? We're Christians. The little little Jesus is uh, representing who he is. And it was in Antioch that the first Gentile or non-Jewish church began. First multicultural, multilingual multi-ethnic church took place. One scholar even calls it the real birthplace of Gentile Christianity. So let's open our Bibles um, and we're going to look at chapter 11, verse 19 through 26. Uh, Some of these passages I'm going to read and some I'm just going to reference. I would encourage you this week, if you have time, read from 11 to 18 and kind of see the unfolding of the church of Antioch. So starting verse 19, chapter 11. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and we had found him. He brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians." So this is the Genesis story of the church of Antioch. And no doubt you guys have a Genesis story, right? Like you guys were a church plant and then people invested in this church. Even sitting with leaders last night hearing like, oh, I was here the first day or it was in this room. We first talked about this, this church being planted. This was the Genesis story of Antioch. And there's some really beautiful things to know is that this church was started as a result of persecution. Now, remember, remember the story. Jesus Rises from the dead. He's with his disciples. He gives them the Great Commission. We see five different Great great Commission passages in the New Testament. And then he ascends and his people begin sharing the gospel. The, The church grows in Jerusalem, but it doesn't get much past Jerusalem. People aren't moving beyond the walls of Jerusalem. But what does God do? He uses persecution, suffering to grow his church. Guys, this is a very important lesson for us. In a world and in a culture that wants us to avoid suffering, God actually builds his church on the back of suffering. He uses hardship and pain to bring him glory and to see the gospel move around the world. This is still happening today. All around the world, the persecuted church, the gospel is thriving in many places. So people came to Antioch um, from Jerusalem, and they were just sharing the gospel with Jews because... Remember, this is before the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 when they had decided, hey, people can follow Jesus without becoming Jews first. But some of these guys, these sneaky guys, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they're like, man, I just, I think we should tell those people too. It's like, no, 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 you only tell tell the Jews. Like, no, 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 we really have to tell those people. And they just could not contain their love for Jesus and began sharing the gospel with Gentiles and they followed him. You know, when I was... uh, a full-time staff pastor at Sojourn. One of the things I did is we were training up people from our congregation. We would send church-based teams, and one of our uh, preaching pastors had come forward and said, "Hey, I, I want to be a missionary." So he and I, we went overseas. Uh, we were looking at several cities in France, working among the diaspora. Those are the, the the scattered people around the world, and we wanted to send a team to work with uh, Muslim background people from North Africa. So we were going to different cities and. I had, uh, Asia had just been born maybe, I don't know, eight weeks or 10 weeks before that. Hindsight, I should not have gone on that trip at all. But anyway, um, that's beside the point, right? New dad, learn those lessons. But, but one of the rules in our house is when I'm away from the family or the kids, my wife sends me a picture or a video of the kids every day. And so every day we're like on a plane, we're on a bus, we're on a train, and I get a picture of Asia's little bitty baby. And um, I would go, hey, Pastor Mike, look, look at Asia. She's like... Looking at me, she's not looking at me, but still like, look, like how beautiful she is. And months later after that trip, Pastor Michael was like, hey, I just want you to know, you were really annoying on that trip. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Why? He was like, and uh, Mike has five kids. He was like, you made me feel so bad as a parent. Like you like loved your daughter so much you could not contain your love for her. And friends, that's how we're supposed to experience Jesus. We are so filled up with who he is. We cannot keep it inside. And, but we, we think about evangelism as like, well, I have to five the, the five points or the four laws or whatever it might be. It's like, hey, if you will just open your mouth and declare who he is, open your mouth and talk about what Jesus has done, done in your life, open your mouth and just litter your language with Jesus, people will come to faith. This church, These walls will blow out from people just saying... I, I don't know exactly, go back to uh, John chapter 4, the the Samaritan woman. Remember what she did? She met Jesus. She goes to her town. She's like, hey, come see the man who knows all about me. Come experience him for yourself. She had very little knowledge or the right words, but she just said, come and meet Jesus. That's what the, the people at Antioch were doing. God was blessing these ordinary people, declaring the love of Jesus. He was blessing their work, and it says large numbers of Gentiles began to follow him. This The mother church in Jerusalem began to hear about this. And they're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? What's going on? Let's send someone. And I love it. Who do they send? They send Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He sees the best in everybody. He goes up and instead of having a critical spirit, like, oh, you're not doing this right. You're not doing this right. He's like, guys, you're doing a great job. In fact, I'm going to go get Paul or Saul and we're going to come up and we're going to help pastor and, and lead the church. So that's what happens. He goes down to Tarshish where Paul is because he knows he needs help pastoring the church. Now, we could read this through the scripture really quickly and see, man, Paul, he, do we really want him? Like he's a new believer, but he's actually been a believer for more than 10 years at this point. He's, he's a seasoned believer. He's coming, and they spent at least a year investing in the church. And then what happens? Let's look in Acts 13, 1 through 4. Now, they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, many. Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and there they sailed to Cyprus. So this is the sending church passage. That's what, that's what I'm talking about today is like, what does it mean to be a sending church? a church that intentionally raises up and sends people out for God's mission? This is the passage. It's talking about a church that is spending time with Jesus, the, the elders gather together, and the God calls some of their best out. Now, we could spend forever in this passage seeing what God is doing, but I just want to point out a few things that are really significant. Number one, there's a plurality of leaders here. There are men gathered together. They are seeking the Lord, um, and, and Paul and Barnabas are, are the people who came and began to invest in and develop these leaders. Um, just like last night, I was sitting with these men. I was so impressed. Um, normally, I'll go to an event like that, and, and whoever's leading says, hey, do you have any questions? And it's like silence. But last night, I was like question after question after question. Like Your leaders are very engaged in God's mission in the world. It is a beautiful thing. And so were these leaders, these these plurality of men seeking to lead the church. Number two, there was a diversity of leadership. Now, remember Antioch, the Roman Empire was a very diverse place. And Antioch itself was a diverse place. You've got Barnabas. Barnabas was from the island of of Cyprus. And Cyprus is still there today. It's smack in the Mediterranean. Um, So he was from Cyprus. Simeon, who is called Niger, that word Niger actually means black. So most scholars say that, that Simeon was a black Jewish man from Africa. So you've got a, a Mediterranean man from the island of Cyprus. You have a, a, a black African. You have Lucius of Cyrene, which is in modern day, uh, it's in North Africa, which is modern day Libya. And then Manian, which was a Jew. And this word um, says close, for, some translations say close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. It could mean like a, like a childhood friend or it could mean that Manian was actually like a foster child of the family. Now, let me ask you, what in the world could bring pre- people of different skin colors, languages, cultures, even animosity against one another. What could bring them together? One thing: Jesus. Jesus. Our level of diversity in our friendships, in our life, and the choices we make in our church—it is a testimony to the world, and it was to Antioch as well. Look, if you look back to the pastors, they were worshiping and they were fasting and they were praying. The pastors of the church were seeking the Lord. They were fasting. Remember what fasting is? We, we deny ourselves food so that we can experience not just physical hunger, but a hunger for Jesus. So they're actively fasting, they're praying, and they're listening. That's really key. They're listening to what the Spirit has to say. Spirit, what would you have us to do as a church? And then when the Spirit spoke, they obeyed and they sent out some of their best leaders. They sent out Paul and Barnabas, and then the often forgotten John Mark, right? The John Mark who goes out. And halfway through, he's like, this is too hard for me. The realities of mission work. And he goes home. Now, we don't know exactly why he went back. You know, there's speculation. But nonetheless, he left them and came back home. And then the last thing I want to point out in this passage, really important. Um, it says in verse 3 that after fasting and praying, and they, 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 the church, laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. This is really, really a key thing. Who sent these first missionaries? Was it the Holy Spirit or was it the church? It was both. Guys, you are the vessel of God in this world. God, the Spirit himself, chooses to use the church to move out on mission to the world. It's a beautiful thing. So, again, we could spend all kinds of time in Acts chapter 3, but it is a beautiful model of what the church is. And this is the picture of an early church sending and one that I can commend you to, to learn from. So Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they go out. They start doing ministry. They move uh, eastward, um, but it's, it's fascinating. Uh, the church of Antioch just didn't, oh, sorry, they sent westward toward Europe, um, but the church of Antioch just didn't send west. They also sent east. We have historical records of the church of Antioch sending missionaries into Syria and beyond. Um, it's a beautiful picture. And then you can see in Acts 14, 21 through 23, we see that they... Um, a picture of what they did in ministry. I want you to turn there. Um, I often get this question, what, once we send a missionary, what's a missionary supposed to do? Well, you assume, right? Well, they share the gospel, or they do good work, or um, what is it they're supposed to do? And I think depending on the context and the person, there's different answers, but I think this passage gives us an understanding of what did Paul and Barnabas do on their first missionary journey. Verse 24, chapter. Uh, sorry, verse 21, chapter 14. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the, the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I think this passage is a summary of the two pa- chapters before describing what Paul and Barnabas are doing. And I think I believe this is a picture Of healthy mission practice today. Number one, they preach the gospel. They open their mouth to declare the gospel. They live their life as a means of showing the gospel. Verse 21. Verse 21, they made disciples. People came to faith. They opened God's word. Um, They didn't have a physical book like this, but uh, they opened God's word and they taught them what it meant to follow him. And then what did they do? They, They went out, shared the gospel with disciples, and then they came back if you look at Paul's ma- the maps in the back of your Bible, Paul's often coming back and he's reinvesting. He's encouraging. The New Testament are letters encouraging believers in new churches. And then the last thing he did, as is, is, is they did, after praying and fasting, they appointed elders and pastors in every church. They're sharing the gospel, they're making disciples, and they're planting and strengthening churches. It's a beautiful picture of what the church did. But what would you think Paul and Barnabas would do after that? they just keep going, right? No, they actually circle back and they come back to their sending church. Look in chapter fourteen, verse twenty-four. Then they passed through Poseidon and to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Antalya, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared that all that God had done with them and how they had opened the door and how He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remain no little time with the disciples. You're seeing the full cycle of mission sending. You see missionaries and uh, people invest deeply in the church. The church invests in them. The Spirit calls them out. The church affirms them, sends them out. They do ministry and they return back and they invest back in the church. These sent ones, as we'll call them, they after completing their work, they came back and both reported and invested back in the church. This passage clearly indicates a strong and deep and beautiful relationship with the church. And this is what I would say. If you want to send missionaries, it's more than just commissioning people on a stage. That's part of it. It's more than just investing in them and discipling. That's part of it. But it is actually staying with them when they're on the field. It's actually allowing them to be broken vessels who need relationship, who need Jesus. When they come off the field, it's receiving them back as a family. There is a heavy, heavy load to do this well. It's the celebration and the sorrow of sending missionaries. It is a beautiful endeavor, but know what you're getting into. Know what you're getting into. Think of missionaries as extensions of your church around the world. So the missionaries you have and the missionaries you're going to send, they are members who are faithfully living other places and serving, and you're receiving them back as family. Now we could go kind of on and on about what this passage, these, this, these uh, seven chapters say. Um, just to give you a few other things to look at, we won't we won't dig deep. Is after this journey, um, they actually didn't go out on a on a second missionary journey. They went out on a theological journey. Acts chapter 15. These these Judaizers, these legalists, started coming and saying, "Hey, before you can become a Christian, you have to be a Jew, be circumcised, and to adopt our culture." And Paul and Barnabas were like, "Whoa, whoa! That's not what we experienced as missionaries." So churches from all over the known world kind of descend on Jerusalem and have this first church council, and they decide the gospel is for Jew and Gentile alike. Beautiful, but who does the church choose to send? They send their missionaries. Um, to fight for pure theology, theological purity. And then from that, from that theological journey, they come back in Acts 15, um, and they invest back in Athens. They actually bring other sent ones with them. There's people from other churches around the region. They go and visit Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They teach the church of Antioch, and they send them back. Um, And then we see in Acts 15, starting verse 36, there's a division among Paul and Barnabas. And here's the reality of missions. It's a messy business. And there's a lot of conflict that happens overseas. And this is an example of it. Two really godly men kind of get head to head over a ministry choice. Should we take John Mark or do we leave him behind? And Paul's like, I'm not. And you know, you know, Paul, he's a little brash. I'm not taking that guy. He had a chance. No. And then Barnabas is like, come on. Now, the trick is, it was also Barnabas' cousin. Um, but he's like, let's give him an opportunity. And we see this division in these two godly men. And it is really sad. Now, we don't know a lot of details, who was wrong, who was right. They were probably, in a sense, both right, maybe both wrong. Um, But we do know something beautiful happened here. God took a hard situation and brought beauty to it. What was once one mission team into the lost world became two mission teams. Even in the midst of hardship, God is bringing about beautiful things. But it just didn't stay there. Division, um, God was reconciling his people. If you uh, later on, maybe look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the very end of, of Paul's last letter, when he is an old man preparing to die, he says, send John Mark to me, for he is useful. Yeah. So decades and decades later, Paul was able to say, come to a senses and say, hey, he's actually really useful for ministry. How many times I'm speaking to myself here, do we invest in people, disciple them, and they fall and they fail and they're slow to learn? And we're like, ah, I just need to move on. No, like be faithful to people. People need time to grow in grace. And then we, we move on from, from 15. We see Paul goes out with multiple people. Paul had actually 17 different versions of mission teams, people coming in and out. And we see from the New Testament, he has at least 34 different people he works with in his ministry life. From what we can tell in Scripture. And we get to verse 18 or chapter 18 and we see Paul returns back again to Antioch. So including his three missionary journeys, he goes on a relief journey to Jerusalem back in um, Acts 12. And then in Acts 15, he's on a theological journey. Um, He's got at least five times he is sent out from Antioch and then he returns back to Antioch. Why do I say that? Because Paul was a part of a faithful local church. He was a member, a leader of Antioch who was sent out and returned home. Sent out and returned home. That that movement of, of sending and returning is something we want to learn from. So in my last eight minutes, as we look at the story of Antioch, you might be asking, thank you for this interesting lecture. What does this mean for us? It means something. It means something for this church and for you as an individual. I want to give you four points of application, four points of application to think about how God used this, this early church as the first missionary sending church and really from Antioch began the global missions movement. Number one, God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary plans. Think about the, the biblical narrative. Who did God use? Think about Moses, right? 80-year-old man in the backside of the desert. Not who I would have chosen to, to lead my people out, right? Abraham. He was not a follower of Yahweh at the time. God called him out. He was a nomad, and God used him to create the, his people, right? God loves using ordinary, everyday people. So think about this. Who came to Antioch? Was it the, the strategy leaders and the, 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 the best miss, missiologists? No, it was ordinary, everyday people who actually moved out because of a really difficult— they were refugees, Right? The people that you interact with in this community who don't look like you, who are not from this place, who are from a different country, um, that's who Antioch was, right? These people were moving out from Jerusalem to a new place. So let me ask, who planted the church of Antioch? What famous pastor or Christian hero planted Antioch? We don't know. There is not a single place in Scripture that tells us who planted the first missionary church, the, the church that started it all. And I think that's the point. I think that's the point. God planted the church and he used his people to do it. No hero Christians, no famous pastors, just ordinary followers of Jesus sharing the gospel with their neighbors, discipling the people they were rubbing shoulders with every day and they played an active role in the church. Who does that sound like? You. You. God used a collection of ordinary Everyday followers of Jesus to do something extraordinary. And you know what? You're ordinary as well. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Appreciate it. I wish people would have told me that growing up more instead of you can do whatever you want, be extraordinary, accomplish great things, which I get. But it's like, hey, you're ordinary and that's okay. Use what God has given you. I am an ordinary person. Brandywine Grace is an ordinary church. And we are all ordinary, Jesus loving people who God has given life through the gospel. When we follow Jesus' will and ways in our life, great things can happen. Like a church is planted. Praise God for this church. A group of men and women said, We want a church to exist where a church doesn't exist. You are a product of movement out of acts. Or a person learns about Jesus or a child is given a home, or a community is given a living picture of who God is in this world, you have an important role to play in God's global mission, starting here and moving outward. So here's my invitation to you. Don't believe the lie that you have to be extraordinary to do something meaningful in God's kingdom. In fact, God most often uses the ordinary to display his extraordinary grace. When he uses you and me, he gets more glory. Number two. Point of application. Antioch gives us a model of a healthy church. It's not prescriptive, meaning you don't have to look at Acts 11 through 18 to do everything that Antioch did. But it's a picture to hold up and say, man, we want to be healthy like Antioch was. A people who were committed to worshiping and fasting and praying. They were committed to seeking the Lord. Uh, a, A people of diverse membership and of leadership They had a plurality of mature pastors who loved one another, and they loved their community. They sacrificed to meet the needs of those who suffered. Remember, Jerusalem experienced a a famine. This mother church was hurting, so the daughter church said, you know what, we'll sacrifice so we can serve um, the church at Jerusalem. They cared about theological purity. They cared about the, the truth of the Bible. And they started out of a missionary spirit, and they carried that missionary spirit outward, both west and east. They're a beautiful model of what this church can be and what our churches can be. Number three, God's church is a sending church, and we are his sent people. We can learn from Antioch that, it, that church, what it looks like to live out and experience the gospel. Now, this is something many churches miss. Hear me. They think missions is either, is, is either or. It's either out there or it's here right we can only do one really well or maybe they overfocus on the local community or they they i, I know plenty of churches who love the nations but they're they're scared to do anything locally scared to do that but missions isn't either or it's a both and we're both called to love our neighbors and decla- declare the gospel and then move that outward to the nations it's a both and and this is the thing if you want to send missionaries if you want to reach the nations the best thing you as a member of the church can do is to open your mouth and share the gospel with your neighbor that missionary spirit, that fervor for people to know Jesus will spread. And I'm looking at you guys, people start raising their hands like, you mean being a cross-cultural missionary is learning a language and, and crossing a culture and doing the very thing I'm doing here over there? Yes, that's what being a missionary is. You open your mouth, you declare the gospel, you invite people to Jesus, you disciple them, and you form churches. That's exactly what we're doing here. John twenty twenty one says this, The Antioch and and we are living out this missionary spirit, this this spirit of evangelism. Jesus says to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is an important point to catch. Making Jesus known to others, a living on mission, was not just something for a select few, the apostles, or Titus, or Timothy. It's not just for those people, but it's for every follower of Jesus. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, you have been given a new identity. Yes, the old man is still there, but the new man is present. Part of that new man is the missionary identity, the sent identity. You cannot experience life the way it was meant to be lived until you share the gospel with others. Listen, I'm sure a lot of you know that. There is something extraordinary in those moments where you dis, you declare the gospel to someone in fully or in part when i share the gospel with my kids there's something that happens within my heart that is, i just can't explain when i share the gospel with a neighbor you know when i open the bible and i teach somebody said so there's just some, there's this joy that fills you if you are not sharing jesus you're missing out you're not experiencing the good life Church, let's experience the good life. You are literally made to make Jesus known. I know it's a scary thing, but just open your mouth and do your best. Because here's the beautiful thing. You don't save anybody. You know, Uh, your words actually have little effect apart from the Spirit working in someone's life. Most of us probably have stories of being moved, whether we come to faith or we're really moved by the Spirit, Um, when someone shared the gospel really poorly. Or or maybe it wasn't even a gospel invitation. God was doing all kinds of wild things. Your journey and my journey and the, the people out there's journey to Jesus is this roller coaster ride of hearing and experiencing Jesus. And you get to play a part of that. Experience the joy of sharing the gospel. Jesus did more than call us out on a mission, however. He gave us the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what fueled the church at Antioch. It's what fueled the early church, and it's what fuels this church today. It brings me to my final point. We are loved by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We share the gospel not out of duty. We go to the nations not out of duty. We share the gospel. We go to the nations because we are living out of the overflow of our life of Jesus. You know who are the missionaries who last in the field? You know the people who uh, decade after decade walk with Jesus It's not people who know more. It's not people who have more fervor. It's not people who are guilted into those things. It's people who root their life in Jesus so much. The love of Jesus overflows into other people. Live a life like that. Make your number one call in life to abide with Jesus. Listen, the Christians in Antioch were not super Christians. They were ordinary people loved by an extraordinary God and used by God to do unbelievable things. That's what God wants to do here. He wants to use ordinary people to display his extraordinary grace and do things we can't even imagine. And I believe that's what he is doing through BGC. He's doing in this community. Your neighbors need to know Jesus. The nations need to know Jesus. And he wants to use churches like yours and mine to make that happen. Listen, the the real living Jesus is in us and flows through us. Jesus who brings who brings us from life to death. Jesus, who calls us out of the coma of consumerism to a community of sacrificial faith. We are created for more than what this world has to offer. Let's live the good life. Jesus, whose love changes everything. Friends, Antioch provides a model for us, but it is a model that we can lean into and we can uh, experience the love of Jesus that flows out into the world. And that's the vision I want to give you is how will you live your life in this world? How will you open your mouth and your pocketbook and your hands and your children, all that God has given you, and say, Jesus, use me however you see fit. And when we give our life to Jesus and when we offer all that we have and we open our mouth and we declare the gospel, God produces fruit in this world we cannot imagine. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Father, this is not about us. It's not even about our neighbors. It's not even about the unreached nations of the world. It's about you are a God who is unchanging. Your love overflows into every corner of our lives. Even in these places where the gospel is not known, the name of Jesus is not known, you are working. And I pray, God, that you would invite us, that you would allow us to experience what it means to give our very lives away. Um. Lord, be it the people who've been sent from the church or the people you will send from the church or, or the elders, the small group leaders or the, the leaders uh, serving in children's ministry or even the children in our children's ministry, may you raise up people to make the gospel known here and beyond. Lord, beyond our expectations, Lord, beyond anything we can imagine, may this be a church that loves you and serves out of the overflow of their life in you. Jesus, thank you for the gospel that you have given to us and the gospel that we can give away. It's in your name I pray, amen.